Thank you for listening to or watching another episode of Repeat Theater. This will be my review of Guardians of the Galaxy. It will contain spoilers for this movie. None of the other MC movies that follow it chronologically. I won't spoil those. We are re-watching this chronologically on Repeat Theater. If you want to catch these streams live, go to repeattheaterlive.com. If you would prefer uploaded videos, we have a new video like archive channel on YouTube, go to sntrvideos.com. It will not overwhelm your sub feed. This will merely be an archive upload spot for the videos, but they won't hit your sub feed. Folks that consume all of my content, but prefer live versus upload, I'm giving you now the option to either be here live at repeattheaterlive.com or you can go to sntrvideos.com to catch all of the videos on the SNTR network. Also, don't forget to bookmark sntrnetwork.com as a way to have all my content in one location. So, Guardians of the Galaxy, easily one of my favorites in the MCU. I kind of read through this basic background of the movie, the plot summary, but really down here at the bottom is sort of the gist of why it's one of my favorites. Uh, The writing, the comedy, the soundtrack, I think give it one of the more unique identities in the library of the MCU movies. I laughed a bunch last night. I forgot how funny uh, the cast is. I loved them together in Infinity War, especially once they run into a certain character, but their their own movie here specifically uh, is just, it's gotta be one of my favorites, hands down. Outside of Thor Ragnarok, there are not a lot of MCU, MCU movies that really carve out their own identity as as specific um, as this movie does and I really really like it and it kicks off really really well. It opens with Peter listening to music as a, as a boy and his mom's dying but they do a really, really good job with this movie of establishing a background character history on Peter Quill with just a couple of lines. Because she says, why are you fighting with the boys at school again? So it's clear he's fight. He's a fighter. He's got a black eye. His mom understands this is something he consistently does. And he says that the boys at school killed a frog that didn't do nothing. So he's not just a kid that gets into fights. He's, he's a fighter with the heart. Like he stands up for something, you know, that, that's, you know, just something as simple as a frog that's being mistreated. And I think that really gives you a glimpse into his character that is honestly important throughout the movie because you're not really sure is he a Han Solo is he a, is is he you know is he a scumbag with a heart is he a smuggler you know is he a villain or a, you know a a thief with a heart of gold you're not really sure but I think they do a great job setting the stage at the very very beginning uh, with this scene with his mom now he won't take his mother's hand she is visibly on her way out from what appears to be cancer because she's you know she's bald and very frail I don't know if they ever specifically stated I think you find out later what exactly uh, she died from because it plays a part in his character in another movie um, so I'm not spoiling that you find that out later I'm not, I can't remember the exact specifics so she dies and you can see immediately he regrets not grabbing her hand he won't grab it maybe there's we're supposed to interpret that as like a childlike denial like if I don't take her hand you know she won't die and she does in that in that moment he goes outside and some spaceship uh, spaceship takes him up and then that's the, that's the end then the that's I th- that's like kind of the end of the, the flashback sequence and I think this is a really really great opening backstory for somebody who becomes sort of the central focus of a bunch of other characters that revolve around him so Peter Quill is kind of the, the beginning of everything so then you run into him as an adult if you're I mean you'd have to be not paying attention at all to know this is the grown-up version of the boy from the beginning because he's got the headphones and he's got the music and 
he puts them on and the music starts and then the Guardians title hits so while he's dancing it kind of zooms out and it puts the Guardians of the Galaxy font up and the big text and I think this is one of those times where you have to say this is going to be a very different MCU movie this isn't going to be Captain America this isn't going to be Iron Man or Thor (coughs) they're a little bit more I mean be serious would would be the word I would say even though Tony Stark jokes around they're a little bit more serious in tone and I think Guardians immediately sets itself apart just with this opening scene of the dancing and the use of music I think is really really brilliant the, the, the selection of these songs for the soundtrack was just excellent and very very well done he gets caught stealing this own you know, the, 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 this orb thing it's actually a pretty funny exchange Ronan gets mentioned very briefly so unless you're really paying attention this guy actually mentions Ronan and if you remember from Captain America the Kree guy he plays a guy in Gladiator he was in Captain uh, Captain Marvel as uh, one of the he's basically working for Ronan now I guess you might recognize him so watching this chronologically it's actually kind of cool this is one of the differences watching it chronologically that you see this guy show back up i forget his name and he's the one that uh (laughs) that that doesn't die in this sequence so he thinks that they're gonna know that his name is star lord and he's like come on star lord man and he's like who and he's like i don't have time for this so they fight and he gets away I actually like the way that he gets away. It's resourceful. It's clumsy. It's comical. It sort of suits his personality. Uh, He's actually really, really good in a fight and in a pinch, but he's also, you know, narrowly escaping and and, uh, and having to use all sorts of different tools and sort of different uh, grenades and stuff. Uh, the soundtrack and the humor and the aesthetic of Quill's stuff, I just think continues um, to set the movie apart. Apparently the guy that finds him that is also in Captain Marvel is Korath the Pursuer. Uh, Jiman Hansu is the actor, probably just butchered his name. He's excellent. I really, really like him. Uh, and so they use, I think, Quill and his music and his humor, because he's like, he forgets this girl was even in his ship. It's kind of funny. There's an irreverence to him, and I feel like that kind of permeates throughout the entire movie in its theme and its in its feel. Then Yandu calls. Love the casting here. Huge fan of this guy. Uh, excellent, excellently cast. If you've uh, if you're a fan of The Walking Dead, um, he's great. Uh, he's also in. Oh, I can't remember the other thing he's really, really well known for. Because I remember when I saw him in The Walking Dead, I rec- I recognized him, and now my mind has been overridden. Like I remember him uh, from from Walking Dead, and this is Yondu, and I can't remember what he was really, really well known for before that. Because no, it's not Days of Thunder. You guys are gonna have to jog my memory. That's kind of a bummer that I forgot about it. So Yandu gets mad, puts a mark on Quill. We kind of get introduced to him as like a, um, oh, he's in Tombstone. That's what it is. He's got a he's got a small role in Tombstone, and always blew me away that he showed back up in some of these major major hits and movies and TV shows. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of the guys that that throws his red scarf down, and he he says he doesn't want to do anything more with the with the the cowboys because they went after their wives or whatever. Then we finally get introduced to Ronan. He makes it clear that he's Cree and he's he's committed to their uh, their customs and everything else. And it's actually a pretty cool introduction to a villain. I like this. I liked this in comparison to some of the other villains that are a little bit too cliche. Um, Malekith in in Thor: The Dark World falls flat for me. 
I, I think Hella unfortunately gets short, short, you know, short sold as well as a villain in another movie. Try not to do any spoilers or whatever. But Malekith is one we've already discussed. I just didn't think he landed all that well. I think Ronan lands a lot better as a villain in how they set him up. He's ominous. He's scary. He's powerful, and they do a really, really good job of like him speaking his motivations into existence. So you kind of understand what he's angry about and what he's kind of got his sights set on. Also, in this in this situation where they introduce Ronan, Gamora and Nebula get introduced. They become significant players in the MCU. So keep your eyes on them and then rocket and Groot get introduced so very quickly almost one after another they introduce major cast members super super quick and I think that that's okay it doesn't feel forced the pacing isn't off uh, and I think they do a really really good job with setting this up where they're all you know they're all in 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 close circuit I forgot how enormous Groot actually is because I'm accustomed to him being a little bit smaller in the other movies um that's a bit of a spoiler, I guess. If you're watching chronologically for the first time, I, you know, sorry about that. I forgot how freaking huge she was. It's really, really fun. Actually, that's not a spoiler because you watch till the end and you understand that he's a sapling at the end. So that is not a spoiler. That is contained within this movie. That's a spoiler contained within Guardians of the Galaxy. He's, he's huge. He's drinking from that water when they first introduce him. And I like that. He definitely is the muscle, uh, you know, teamed up with Rocket. And I love it. So Rocket and Groot and Gamora, they're all fighting over uh, trying to capture Quill. And they do a really, really good job of letting you know that Ronan is a serious threat. Because as soon as Quill mentioned Ronan to the broker, the broker's like, I don't want that thing anymore. Get in the heck out of here, right? Um, and so they, you know, he, that, that's that's an early sign that like something, you know, Ronan's a pretty serious deal if even the, if this guy's not willing to buy the thing. So they all get arrested. And I love this section of the movie because, again, they're not afraid to do something that it almost feels com- like commercially driven because they I remember they used a lot of these clips in the trailers, but man, does it, it freaking works, right? They basically go through like a character profile description of all of them. Um, they, they've, they've got... Uh, They've got the guy from from oh, Step Brothers, and his his name just left my freaking brain. I love him in Magnolia, and I think he's excellent in this. Uh, and his name just flew out of my brain. And because I said last night to my wife, like, oh, I really really like this guy. He's sort of giving the descriptions of all of them um, and going through all their different personalities. John C. Riley, right? I kept going to say Michael C. Hall, and I'm like. That's freaking Dexter. Yeah, John C. Riley. Thank you. I knew there was a C in there somewhere. Was there, is there a Niner in there? Yeah, John C. Riley. I think does a great job in this movie. And him just reading through their character descriptions about who they are, what is Groot, what is who is Drax. It's excellent. You they don't have to spend any time doing any backstory on them. As soon as they get thrown into jail altogether and have to break out together, as soon as that happens, you get like a little like resume sheet on all of them. And I thought that was a pretty dope way to set up the movie. Um, You couldn't do this in every movie, but I think it worked and it played really, really well in Guardians of the Galaxy in particular. They get in the jail, everybody recognizes Quill and Gamora, and this is one of the great scenes for Groot. They get to kind of flex. You know, this big, huge guy comes up and Quill 
is essentially somebody they want to protect because they want the money for him. So they're not protecting him out of kindness. They're protecting him because they're like, this is our mark. This is our, you know, basically our our plundered booty. We're, we're going to take this guy with us when we get out of here. And Groot, like, shoves his finger up this huge guy's nose, like, lifts him into the air, and Rocket sets everybody straight. I like that. I actually think it's believable. It's always kind of weird when people, like, want to do that thing. They want to, like, flex on a whole group of people. It doesn't seem all that believable. This feels pretty believable. I don't think anybody in there wants to cross Groot. He is enormous and obviously very strong. He picks up like one of the biggest guys in the room and turns him into a whimpering puppy. And so Drax is there. So you get introduced to Drax in this prison. Easily one of my favorite characters in the entire MCU. I think their use of humor with Drax and Dave Bautista is brilliant. It's got to be one of my favorite things in the entire, this movie in particular, but in the entire MCU. He is fabulous. He has some of the funniest parts and funniest lines. And unfortunately, he's not a fan of Gamora because we slowly learn his backstory about who killed his family and he wants to kill Ronan. Uh, At the end, you get a very clear picture that he's not done yet. He also wants to kill Thanos. But um, the prisoners are going to kill Gamora. And Drax shows up, and the prisoners back down. They're like, yeah, if you want to kill her, by all means, you're Drax the Destroyer. You can have her. We don't want to stand in the way. Gamora makes it very, very clear that she's no family to Ronan and Thanos. So we get sort of our first indication, maybe, maybe, that Gamora is actually good, and she doesn't want anything to do with these guys that she's working for, right? And... She makes that clear to Drax. Drax doesn't seem to care. He is sort of enraged and he's really, really angry. You also learn in this scene that Drax takes everything literally. And I love that we get information about this later, but it's, it adds, it's, it's funny. <laughs> it makes for funny, funny moments. And the first time is when Quill goes like this and he was like, why would I, why would I put my finger on his throat? I mean, it's just really, really excellently done because he's so serious and he's so big, this hulking dude. So Quill steps in and says they need her if they're going to try to kill Ronan. There's great humor There is great, great humor in this scene in particular. As Drax gets introduced, we get his backstory, we get why he's angry, and we get that he is hysterical, unintentionally hilarious. Ronan before Thanos is one of the better scenes, I think, for Ronan as a character. Uh, this guy is, uh, he's not messing around. Um, it's not that graphically strong. This is a little bit earlier in the life of the MCU. Um, Thanos doesn't quite look right just yet. They, they kind of nail the way he looks in Infinity War. They had to, obviously. He moves around a whole lot more in that. And in this, he just kind of sits in a chair. It, it's clear they hadn't quite figured out what they, how they wanted him to look. He's this legendary titan, and, you know, and he's sitting in this chair all sort of decorated. And Ronan shows that he's he's got stones and he's brave and he's strong, but he also doesn't doesn't hesitate to cower before Thanos. So he kills one of Thanos' dudes right next to him, kind of Thanos' assistant, I guess. Uh, and then and then Ronan's being kind of lippy and Thanos sets him straight. So it's clear. I like that they do this. They make you think, man, Ronan's nuts. Ronan's strong. Ronan's awesome. But it doesn't take long for him to kind of whimper and cower before the almighty Thanos. Back to the jail, understandably pacing-wise here, they didn't want to spend a ton of time in the jail. So I'm actually okay with this being a fairly quick endeavor with them escaping. And it's really, really fun. Uh, Rocket comes up with the plan, and while he's describing it about how they need to grab the battery last, Groot grabs it first, and they have to kind of snap into action. And, you know, they're all over the place. You got... (laughs) 
you got Quill convincing the guy to give him the leg, uh, and then everybody else doing everything they can do. You get a really, really good uh, one of the fa- one of my favorite sequences in this is actually how well they shoot Gamora's fight scenes. I actually don't know if she does all of the all of the stunt doubles in the fights, but it always looks really, really good because she fights in a very different way. She's doing a lot of kicks and spins and jumping off of walls and stuff. And I think they they actually translate her fighting style compared to some of the others. Quill's more of a resourceful, gadget-using, gun-toting guy. Drax is all you know, muscle and uh, and blades, and then you know, Groot's got. Basically, he can make stuff with his hands. I love the way uh, they filmed a lot of her fight scenes. It's really awesome because she's beaten, beaten up people, and she's uh, outnumbered a lot. And it really, really, I think, is one of the one of the better moments for her character that she gets to kind of show off a very, a very unique fighting style. You find out that the leg was a joke, and man. <laughs> This is consistent, by the way, about needing the leg, wanting the eye later. There's a guy with an eye, and he's like, we're going to need your eye. And Quill's like, no, no, we're not. Um, That comes up later in another movie where he's like, I'm going to get that arm. And I love that they keep doing that with Rocket, even in a later movie. That's not a spoiler, but the people that know the scene I'm talking about, I love that gag, like goofiness to rocket that he's just like oh it's hilarious we're gonna get this leg oh i can't believe you did that and the leg actually came in common with quill uh fighting his way back to the ship so they actually um they actually get are are on their way out and the literal humor with drax so we get an explanation for why drax is literal uh, basically rocket says those pe- his his race or his people or whatever they're totally literal and they say something about how something going over his head and they perpetuate the the literal nature of drax he says nothing goes over my head my reflexes are too fast i would catch it and if you don't fall in love with drax at that moment then you're you don't have a pulse like his character is great i love what they do uh with because they do this all throughout every time he's on screen the running the running gag of the literal nature of drax is really really fun um so they end up going um to to nowhere and quill goes back for his music so it's clear that there is still a very strong connection that Peter Quill has with what happened to him as a child. The fact that he was willing to risk escape by going back for the music, but he also gives himself some insurance. He takes the orb with him because they were going to leave without him. Because again, they're they're not really friends yet. Okay, So they end up going to nowhere. And I actually love that they make this reference. It's a severed head of a celestial being that became like a mining colony because they were mining it for all of the resources that were on it. I would love to know if there's any prequels as to what in the world this celestial being was and why it was so enormous and why uh, it you know it got its head severed. We might have a slight inclination of what these celestial beings were because when the collector shows them the power of the stone later in the movie and you see this gi- giant leviathan-sized being slam down a staff and wipe out an entire civilization, maybe that's one of the celestial beings. Again, I am not super versed in a lot of that stuff, but I thought that was kind of cool that they give that backstory to what exactly Nowhere is. Uh, Gamora and Quill connect over the music, and I think this is one of the this is one of the the funnier scenes because you kind of know movies do this; they don't have to say anything. You know that eventually 
Gamora and Quill, there's going to be some some sparks and some uh, some non non just there's going to be some some tension in a good way. Like they're going to start to like each other. You can kind of just sense that in movies sometimes. And uh, I like how she stops his pelvic sorcery. <laughs> she calls it his pelvic sorcery. I really like that. And uh, but you can kind of tell. And they actually do a good job of doing a circle back to this later, where he's talking about dancing. Um, and uh, and Kevin Bacon they circle back to this it's actually pretty funny later at the very very end of the movie when he puts the music on she looks at him and she kind of starts to sway back and forth again to indicate they still have some semblance of a connection and she's starting to like him I think and she even says you know we're going to follow your lead at the end so that scene with the music comes in later as well you don't want to forget that scene they meet the collector Benicio Del Toro is just brilliant. I wish he did more movies. Um, I absolutely love him. I like how he immediately expresses interest in Groot. He says, I never thought I would ever meet a Groot before. Um, and that, I think, creates interest and intrigue as you as the viewer. You're like, what the frick is a Groot? You know? And why would the collector be like, I don't have one of you. I, uh, can I have your body when you die? <laughs> Basically. And here, I think, is the first time in the MCU we get an in-depth description and sort of idea about the Infinity Stones. And the, this is good, I think, because it sets the stage for the fact that like this all comes to a head later. We know this, right? I mean, you know, even without spoiling anything, just from trailers, you know the Infinity Stones and the, and the Avengers and everything. They're, this is right here. They're very, very... They don't come out and do it, but this really connects the Guardians to the overarching MCU meta-narrative that's been developing. Also, obviously, Thanos and Ronan. But the Infinity Stones, I think, really lands the plane. If you're you're not picking that up when you're watching this movie, that all these things are connected, then, you know, you're just just not paying attention. Uh, Unfortunately, the Collector has, like, an assistant servant-like girl, and she touches it, the Infinity Stone, and it blows her up and the place up. Just goes crazy, all right? They actually decide to take it. Once they realize how strong it is, they're like, we got to get it to Novacore. This thing needs to be locked down and hidden. We can't let the Collector have it. It's going to end up in the hands of somebody else like Ronan. Unfortunately, Drax has a low point in the movie and he calls Ronan because he wants to fight him to avenge his dead family. Uh, Drax and Ronan fight and it doesn't go very good for Drax. Drax is really strong, but Ronan is significantly stronger and just kind of whoops him around. uh, No problem. He ends up like throwing him in some sludge. Nebula ends up blowing up Gamora's ship. And then Quill has to save Gamora, and he does it by calling Yandu. Yandu shows up and saves them. And this again, this again harkens back to the way the entire movie starts. The movie starts where Quill doesn't want something to be, you know, unjustly killed. If he can do something, he's gonna, he's going to, uh, he's gonna go for it. Yeah, the the collector shows up first in the post credit scene for Thor: The Dark World. They give him the ether, and he says, "One down, five to go." So you get a little bit of a seed planted there. This is the first time, though, in this movie in particular, that you get like a really good explanation of what the Infinity Stones are. He talks about how they were used and how they're so powerful. You know, they were separated or whatever. Um, so Yondu 
basically shows up to save Quill, but again, you see Quill going out of his way to save somebody else, which harkens back to the frog at the very, very beginning scene with his mom. Like, he stood up for a frog that these people had killed, and he got into a fight because of it. So he's willing to kind of put himself on the line for someone he thinks that is innocent or or deserving. Groot ends up saving Drax, and then Rocket wants to run, but Groot and Drax are like, no. Because Rocket's like, we just need to get on the the other side of the universe and hope to live out natural lives before these guys destroy the entire universe. So Rocket is grappling with the severity of the situation with the Infinity Stones, and he wants to run. Drax and Groot convince him that they should fight. Really great scene for Ronan. Uh, he decides to uh, consume the infinity stone and he kind of puts it in his hammer I guess he touches it but I guess it ends up in his hammer because that's how they get him later Uh, and he tells Thanos I'm coming for you I actually really like this for Ronan as a character that he stands up against um, he stands up against Thanos and sort of at the end of the movie it's his fault that part of Thanos' plan gets kind of busted up here and uh, can't get the uh, the Infinity Stone. So this creates obviously a significant problem because now Ronan's strong enough to just take out an entire planet if he wants to. Yandu's going to kill Quill, but he convinces him not to. And then Rocket shows up. They all kind of end up back together. Drax is going to blow their ship out of the sky. It's pretty funny how they're fighting back and forth about how was it a plan to rescue us if you were going to blow the ship up. Um, and you know, Quill calls him to stop how you gave us five seconds to respond again. There's consistent good banter and writing in these movies and Quill actually inspires them to fight and potentially die. And sometimes in these movies, I think like the inspirational speeches can be kind of corny. I actually think Chris Pratt pulls it off. I think the cast pulls it off and then they don't take themselves too seriously. Because at the end of it all, Rocket's like, all right, I'm standing now. We're all standing. Bunch of jackasses standing in a circle. Like, they don't take themselves too seriously. They poke fun of the fact that, like, yeah, we all kind of are kind of in a corny way, standing in a circle, standing up. So they're able to take some of those self-referential jabs, even when doing something that's semi-serious. And that's something that Guardians of the Galaxy, I think, balances very, very well with their injection of comedy and silliness in the midst of some pretty serious things going on. They put together the plan. They bring back some of the music. They bring some of the slow more, the, the slow mo as they're like all walking down the hallway. Uh, really, I think continues to reemphasize the unique identity that Guardians has in the MCU as a style choice. As a you know, the, from the music to the slow mo, it definitely doesn't feel like the other movies. It feels more. I don't know. There's like maybe a cool factor. That's kind of weird to say, but they're going for the cool factor, the hip factor that the other movies don't really strive for. Uh, they get their ship, uh, on board and Drax laughs and then Gamora says, we're just like Kevin Bacon. And this again is that callback to when they connected on the music and he tells her about Footloose and Kevin Bacon. So they, they do, I think something that's actually really, really difficult, which is callback comedy where they call back to something that happened previously. And when she's like, we're just like Kevin Bacon and you know, Drax thinks it's great. He's, he's having fun. Um, and then they bring Sirius with, com- you know, comedy again. Drax is like, everyone's his friend. He's telling everybody they're his friend. 
And then he shoots Nebula with a rocket, and he's like, nobody talks to my friend that way. <laughs> um, I don't know why. I just, every every time he's in a scene and talking, I'm ready to laugh, because I think he just, they they nailed his character, and, and Batista really delivered, I think, on the, on the delivery of the lines and stuff. We finally get to see what Yondu can do with this whistle. You know it's this threatening thing that he can do where just a whistle brings out this flying little little I don't even know what it's called. I think they name it somewhere because he, I think they name it later in the, one of the other movies. Man, he takes out a whole crew though. Whole crew, whole ship. You really finally get to see why is Yondu so feared and they finally let you see that. It's really late in the movie. I mean, this is the back half of the movie. It's like like the final 20 minutes and you're like, "Oh, that's why everybody is super scared of Yondu." Uh, cuz of cuz of his ability is uh, immensely strong. I actually think the fights are really, really great in this part of the movie. Drax against the dude from the beginning, uh, the Kree guy that catches Star-Lord. Him fighting him was awesome. Groot in the hallway spears a whole group, slams them back and forth, turns and kind of smiles. Uh, I think the fight scenes are actually really, really fun. Nebula realizes it's time to go, and she gets the heck out of there. They successfully shoot Ronin, and he survives. Drax attacks. Rocket crashes in. So Drax is probably going to get whooped again, but then the the rocket uses his ship, he comes crashing in, and the big ship's going down. When Groot realizes they're going down, he goes into action. And something that's really cool about Groot that they do, even before this, they couldn't see at one section. He kind of like lets out all these little like, they're kind of like lightning bugs, but they're, they're just glowing all the time. And they're like, when did you learn to do that? And, <laughs> and, and Quill's like, I'm pretty sure the answer to that is I am Groot. And so they're never going to really learn. How does he do all these things? He's this mysterious, really, really strong being. And he protects them. Rocket, Rocket protests. He knows what's happening. Again, Rocket seems to kind of understand Groot in a way that nobody else does. He's like, you're going to die. Why are you doing this? And Groot breaks, breaks, you know, formula and says, we are Groot. And you're kind of ironically it's a touching scene and it's between a raccoon and a living tree that doesn't really say anything just i think good directing and writing good voice acting to have something be meaningful that is just so fantasy laden and almost mythological like a talking tree and a talking raccoon have like a touching scene together (laughs) like that's just good directing that's just good writing and i uh i appreciate that they could bring that level of seriousness to this movie so they get on the ground and you got the famous scene with the dance off quills you know ronan's gonna kill everybody quills singing and he's like dance off bro dance off or whatever and he's like i'm just distracting you and they end up shooting uh ronan's hammer which busts the infinity stone loose and then quills able to grab it now at first you might watch this scene and be like okay wait a minute what why didn't quill just immediately blow up well you find out in a later scene and i'm glad they included that because like i was telling my wife i was like i forget do they actually explain why he's able to grab the infinity stone because it's actually one of the most interesting parts of the guardians movie is that quill can touch this thing and then they end up doing a grab my hand throwback to his mom because Gamora's reaching out and this time he grabs her hand. I thought that was another cool sort of emotional, you know, callback for Quill as a character. They all grabs hands. They destroy Ronan. Um, and they even say we're the guardians of the galaxy. But it's like, surprisingly enough, I think it lands. It works. It's cheesy, 
little over the top, little 90s action feeling to be like, we're the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, but it worked. I, I actually enjoyed it. I think maybe it helps too because like it's crazy graphically. Like Quill looks awesome. He's all like almost blowing up in purple. Uh, and they destroy Ronan. So Yandu shows up in one cent and, uh, and he gives them a fake one. And something they do, this is just like a little nugget to kind of give you a hat tip to some things that develop later, is they say something about his dad and how they should have just given him to his dad. And then Yandu's like, well, he always was a jackass. So you get a bit of a clue about his dad and then you find even more about Quill's dad in a, in a scene in just a little bit. They tell him that he's half human and his father is something ancient. And that's about all they say. You're just like, I'm sorry, what? Like, what? His dad was something ancient? Huh? And so that just a little bit of a seed plant for you about some things uh, that are going to come you know, later. But I really, really like that. Uh, I like that they, they set that up, that Quill is something else. Because for all intents and purposes, if he wasn't, it would have been a pretty stupid break of rules for him to be able to grab and hold the stone like he did for as long as he did without just getting blown to bits. Um, so I thought that was, I thought that was cool the way they set that up. Um, oh yeah, I did kind of gloss over how Novacore helped. I liked that too. They believed, you know, John C. Riley's character believed Quill and they came out and helped, which played a significant part in the battle. I didn't mean to gloss over that. Yeah, Novacore does help significantly and they put the Infinity Stone away. Um, Quill finally opens the card. And again, you have a good scene with John C. Riley too. Like John C. Riley is basically like, I have a family here and they're alive because of you. Like he thanks Quill. And I like that. You always like to see those scenes. Um, good, good back and forth with John C. Riley about what's illegal. Like, what if I really, really want it? You know, no, that would be stealing. That's illegal. <laughs> and then Drax about killing. I, I don't know. I love those little scenes all throughout this movie. There's probably too many to enumerate. I didn't even write that one down, but I just remembered it. Quill finally opens the card and the gift from his mom, and he plays the tape. So you're seeing that Quill's ready to maybe move on a little bit, um, and and go into like the next phase of his you know his character development. He finally opens this gift from his mom. Like he's how old? He was how old when he got it? You know, ten, and now he's like in his 20s maybe it's been a decade and he hasn't opened this present um and then he plays the tape and again you get a little hint here that gamora is warming up to him uh she kind of nods her head to the music you know hearkening back to their scene where you know they almost had a little uh, little kissy kiss and it didn't happen because she called it his his uh, his pelvic sorcery <laughs> <laughs> which is one of the best lines um yandu uh <laughs> yeah that's actual murder the worst of all crimes <laughs> it's great i love this movie anyway yandu opens up the orb and there's a little troll inside and he just smiles mm, they don't say it but you start to kind of get a glimpse into the fact that like yandu has like maybe a special place or maybe uh, he makes a lot of exceptions for Quill, and you'll learn more about that in the next movie. Uh, but I think there's enough in this movie to make that speculation that there's something else going on between Yandu and Quill. Like, he thinks it's funny that he tricked him. Or maybe he at least respects it. Uh, and then it ends by letting you know that Groot's still around. Baby Groot's kind of sprouting, and he's dancing behind Drax right before the credits. And that's it. That's the movie. I think one of my favorites in the MCU, right up there with Thor Ragnarok, 
absolutely hysterical. I actually forgot how much I liked this movie. I think maybe because I don't enjoy Volume 2 as much. I don't think I enjoy Guardians 2 as much, and it kind of overshadows the first movie in my mind. But this movie is one of the better movies, I think, with respect to pacing and comedy. It's it's at the top, I think. It's up there with Thor Ragnarok with the creative identity, great soundtrack, and really, really great comedy. Then we get the post credit scene, which is not really a post credit scene. It's just the collector having a drink and, like, Howard the Duck talks to him. And I don't know what we're supposed to do with that. Maybe somebody can educate me on why that's used, like, what that really means. Was it more of a, of a ha-ha post credit scene, like everybody sitting around eating shawarma, or if this is supposed to be a more serious end credit scene that went, woof, right over my head. So that is my review of Guardians of the Galaxy going through like what I thought were all the cool pivotal moments. Uh, if you're listening to this as an audio podcast and you want to watch live, go to repeattheaterlive.com. Monday through Thursday around 3 p.m. Eastern, we go live on repeattheaterlive.com. You can find all my content under one central hub, sntrnetwork.com. That's all my shows. And if you want to get these individual uploads, just go to sntrvideos.com. It's a separate YouTube channel purely for archival upload uh, of these as opposed to watching the live streams. As always, if you're listening or watching in the other locations, please like, share, and subscribe listening to or watching another episode of repeat theater this is going to be the vip sort of roundtable call-in session that followed my review of guardians of the galaxy if you're listening to this as an audio podcast elsewhere you can always catch me on repeattheaterlive.com monday through thursdays around 3 p.m eastern is when we do these episodes repeattheaterlive.com will bring you there if you'd rather watch these as video uploads we have created an archive channel just go to sntrvideos.com sntrvideos.com is the archive channel Another great tool that you want to bookmark is sntrnetwork.com. That's everything. If you want a, a, a schedule for watch parties, a schedule for these episodes, all my videos, all my posts from my other shows, sntrnetwork.com has them all. So I got Wolverine, JB, and Giza all here with me. And usually what I start off with, is there anything I either gloss over, missed, didn't really mention that you think is worthy of note? I know a lot of the situations with the Kree and Ronan and Thanos and maybe even you know, nowhere in the celestial being that was, you know, had its head severed. A lot of that stuff I'm not familiar with, which obviously it's in this movie. So you guys may highlight uh, some of that. I'm actually going to go to Giza first because I have this weird sneaking suspicion that like JB and Wolvie have all this stuff that I'm not tapped into. So Giza, is there anything I missed that you think really needs to be mentioned? Or if you just want to say, you know, what you like about this movie? Um, yeah, well, I guess starting off this one, um, I'd say that agree with what you said at the beginning, how this is a very different kind of MCU movie. I mean, I remember first thing is that this isn't actually a superhero movie. This is a sci-fi film. Mm-hmm. And I certainly found a lot more in common with that, with other sci-fi films like sort of Star Trek, Star Wars, and lots of other things. So, um, but again, yeah, I thought the way they kind of actually brought the team together, I actually realized how much happens in the first 20 minutes in terms of actually setting everything up, giving us the characters, which I always think is one of the more difficult things in an ensemble film. Mm-hmm. As, you know, say Justice League would tell you about getting our characters together and actually making you care about them. Yep. And then so I think this is a really, really good job um, about that. I guess one thing that maybe you did mention, which I think is actually more interesting watching chronologically, is that obviously when we first see Ronan this way, we've seen him in Captain Marvel. Obviously at this point, he's obviously the Kree and the Kree are obviously a very dominant force in the galaxy. So 
domineering the scrolls as well as other races. But here it's very obvious that things have changed now. Obviously, we're much from Fujin, you know, Ronan is seen as, as a terrorist. I think even sort of gives the names, names he's called. And so it's quite almost an interesting, you wonder what's actually changed, I guess, intergalactically with the um, uh, Kree Empire. Because I think another thing they do is they make a point of, after the sort of opening scene with Quill, it gets straight to like another planet. We're very much, we're not on Earth anymore. We are completely away from everything mm -hmm. you, you know about the Marvel Universe, um, so, so far anyway. I think it's just almost opening our eyes to there's so much more to the story than maybe you would have thought from that sort of like the first phase, as it were, of this thing. So I thought that's certainly something really good that this film did. Yeah, I completely forgot that they actually do kind of a cool little. The Kree are talking to the Nova Corps, aren't they? And they're like, they don't, yeah. they're not condoning his actions, but they're like, what do you mean? He's, he, we got, you got to do something here. Like they it's definitely like made accords aren't there it's almost like there's been some kind of political agreement where the creed base aren't going to go around sort of taking over planets anymore yeah uh, but ronan although classed as a terrorist i'm pretty certain is pretty much working tacitly with free um uh sort of support but he said not openly am uh sort of criticizing him uh i'm sure maybe the other guys who are not sure exactly how that works in the comic comics and how sort of ronan portrayed but so they sort of made that clear in this one yeah the his big ship and stuff too i'm not sure if they they plant those seeds uh at another time because doesn't he he shows up in captain marvel doesn't he yeah. and he like leaves because mm -hmm. she's so scary he's like uh, uh i'm not fighting her he kind of knows that captain marvel can't be trifled with yeah he says i'll be back later for her as it were yeah work out like that for him but still that's kind of cool chronological we we're watching it in a very different order so when we you watched you know captain marvel in release order we all understand who ronan is at that point or at least you probably <laughs> vaguely remember him um because he's actually he's only in this movie with the exception of captain marvel does he show up in any other movies really as like a i don't know if he does other than captain marvel no, just these two i believe yeah yeah um I'm gonna I'm gonna go to JB then. I mean, what uh, there, there's probably interesting tidbits and things maybe I missed out on or needs to be highlighted because there is a lot here that that we don't get a backstory on. Um. Well, my synopsis of it, I have uh, you know, my pros, cons of the of the movie. So um, I, I, I'll go pros. So uh, with pros, obviously you mentioned this earlier. Um, the soundtrack, um, mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, it works unbelievably well, you know, it, as a commentary, you know, on the action and it's nearly becoming a character of its own, yeah. you know, you know, really as a soundtrack, you know, been so engaged with its film, unlike, you know, similar pop soundtracks and like maybe a Quentin Tarantino films, which seems to, you know, exist only to show off the director's extensive knowledge of music. Mm -hmm. Um, and then um, it, it was also like a surprising balance between, you know, humor, action, and heart. Um, you know, Guardians is more more or less, you know, a comic adventure, you know, with occasional moments of beauty and emotion, reference, um, you know, Rocker's drunken speech in which he reveals his painful past as a laboratory experiment. 
you know, and then, you know, you got the lighthearted moment of Gamora discovering pop music for the first time. Mm-hmm. And then you got the, you know, the lead up to including, you know, we are group. So those are all, you know, good pieces of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, one huge thing, um, he's actually spoke up, as I think uh, mentioned or touched on was teamwork. Um, you know, Guardians, it, it places an emphasis on teamwork and friendship above all. And, you know, it's it's always refreshing to see a film not, you know, try to, you know, awkwardly shoehorn in, you know, a romantic subplot between its leads, you know, or, you know, even more refreshing, you know, when the film decides that having an adventure pals is pretty rad, you know, and um, this is an established now, this was established earlier on in the film when the characters, you know, have to work together to escape, you know, the, the space jail. Yeah. Um, now, um, another thing that was great uh, that you mentioned on the guy, on a, one of the characters is is Rooker playing Rooker playing Yondu. <laughs> so, um, so Michael Rooker, you know, he's built his career, obviously, you know, as being this, you know, charming, shady, redneck mf'er. You know, yeah, and I think, and I think, Gunn gave him the license to do the same here, because I've never imagined Young Dude, you know, being like this. <laughs> but you know, but it worked, you know, because yeah. when you when he's talking, and everything he, he sounds just like he was when he was in The Walking Dead. So um, now, uh, little cons that I have. My first con is Thanos. Now, I say this. I say really. Like it was, I think it was a pointless waste, and uh, I get it. Like you know, he was teasing the post credits of the Avenger movie, but I felt like Gunn and you know Perlman was like under some obligation to put him in the film, mm-hmm. and and then with Ronan the Accuser, who's a you know pretty badass guy in his own right, but you know he gets, but you know he gets to do a little else than that feels really threatening outside of you know the fight with Drax. And you know, I never felt like they were in much peril. Um, the film's you know other two villains, which is Nebula and Core at the Pursuer, like they barely registered. Mm-hmm. And in and in fact, you know, all the characters are pretty lean. And you know, my suggestion would have been to you know cut Thanos entirely and give that time to fleshing out the baddies and our heroes. You know, give them something more to than just cardboard cutouts. And um, one I know Wolverine's going to touch on um, is, you know, what's the deal with the Xander and the Kree? Because, you know, we get, you know, in the throwaway line early on that there's a uh, tenuous uh, peace treaty between the people of Xandar, home of the Norva Corp, and the Kree. Now, however, like, we don't get much background on either, particularly the Kree. What happened before that that led to this treaty that, you know, they fought, sure, and then made up. And um, and Ronan didn't much care for that. Apparently, you know, there's a lot of meat behind Ronan's outlier status in this context. So, you know, that should have been, I think, touched on more. And uh, lastly, um, I'll say the plot. Um, now, don't get me wrong; like, I love Guardians of the Galaxy, but um, there wasn't there was an awful lot of things that just happened in the film where with so little motivation. You know, it's mm-hmm. basically, you know, it's a, basically a series of stuff that happens. What's going on here? I also felt like the film was a little too dependent on the audience knowing who the characters are. 
especially you know when it came to introducing the infinity the infinity stones to the story so you know and sure we get a brief description from the collector but who's the collector you know like you don't get the background on who he actually is and because in the comics the collector is actually what's called an elder and the elder is is uh you, i, I want to say he's uh, they're like steps below the um the cosmics so and he's one of the actual little sources that thanos actually went and got a stone from so i, I kind of actually like how they kind of played that out during the future down the line on how he had to go to the collector to get you know uh the stone i think the reality stone from him yeah. so um so i like how that played out uh, where and actually you know thanos you know fought the collector to kill them and then the comics whatever to get the stone that he had so um that uh, that's a good word to play but i mean overall there's of course there's a lot of things you can touch on because you are into your you know you're into introducing the whole galaxy of the mcu which is different planets and things like that but you know i'm pretty sure we're gonna touch on it the i think the xandar and the kree should have been touched on more and then i was very very disappointed um especially now knowing about captain marvel the 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 route of killing ronan the accuser because now the scene with him and captain marvel makes no sense of him saying oh we'll go after her later so it's like that you know that interaction won't never happen now because he's dead hmm. so you know that that's you know basically what i have to say i i agree it would have been nice too because i think gamora could have given a couple of lines about the collector you know who is this guy how can we trust him i could see quill asking that and then gamora giving us some background on him because he, he is he is bizarre and not explained and she obviously would know about him and know you know his history um and it is the reality stone the i guess the ether the reality stone is like contained in it or something or in it i don't really know if they ever explain that but that that's what he ends up getting in the one movie because he he turns everybody into he turns quill's gun into like it shoots bubbles or whatever so that you know he's got the reality stone at that point and it would be nice to get some explanation for like, is the collector playing no sides, both sides? Is he good? Is he bad? He's just, they don't really give uh, much of a background on him. Um, and their motivations do seem very quick. It's just all of a sudden they're like, we have to take the infinity stone. We can't let them have it. And everybody like bands together to fight it. I think that probably is one aspect of the movie that maybe is a little rushed and it still ends up being over two hours. Um, so it's, pre- it's still pretty long. <laughs> uh, but I would say maybe that was one of the the detriments of a quickly paced movie. They do jam a lot in here. Um, and then, you know, we should let's let's go to Wolverine and get his thoughts, too, uh, after everything you just said. Well, I, I definitely take a lot of credence into what JB says. He always has great insight on what he brings to the table in terms of the MCU. Um, I, uh, I honestly, I don't really have a lot of negatives for this movie. I enjoyed it and I took it. I didn't know how to expect it. I'll probably go in with the same type of expectation level into the Eternals and most of these other, you know, untapped Marvel properties that really didn't get a lot of glimmer within, you know, the heydays of comic books, you know, stuff like guardians, you know, Nova, 
uh, the Eternal series. It, it, you know, it wasn't as popular as what we all know uh, today in terms of the, you know, the forefront of, uh, of Marvel comics. Um, everyone's really touched on this, uh, but I, I got to touch on it as well. The, the soundtrack, you know, it probably opened people to music they didn't even know they liked probably put them to another genre they liked i i'm a big classic rock person and just you know that era in general so there were some songs i knew and then some songs i didn't know um a it's lot one of, of that the, before on, you sorry. before you move on yeah. it's actually yeah. if you go if you type guardians the the ter- the first two suggested searches are guardians of the galaxy soundtrack and guardians of the galaxy 2 soundtrack so like people yeah. are people love it People resonate a lot with that music, and and that music, and they do such a good job of implementing the the quote unquote soundtrack that he's listening to throughout the movie and put it in perfect situations. Um, uh, the Pina Colada song in space, I loved how they used that one. It's it's one of my favorites. I like that song a lot. Um, you know, in in general, just how they utilized it throughout the entire mo- movie was you know was epic to say the least um i usually like to incorporate foreshadowing there isn't a whole lot because i feel like in terms of the overall message and the overall looming factor we all kind of knew who it was when we saw thanos kill the other in front or excuse me when we call when we saw ronan kill the other in front of thanos we knew who the bad guy was and 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 just before i segue into that one thing i didn't I don't want to say I disagree with JB. One thing I didn't share the same opinion with is that I wasn't so enamored with who Korath and Ronan are. Yes, I can understand if you don't know as much as myself or other people, yeah, you're going to want to ask those questions. But I kind of felt if I didn't know anything about them, I wouldn't feel as torn because through Drax's perception, let's just put it through that as an instance. At the end of the movie, he says... Thanos is the real one I'm after. Ronan was just the, the next one or the person in the way. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But you got the idea that he was just the one bad to deal with and that there's a bigger course. There's a bigger narrative to learn. So I, I kind of felt as if he – it's okay to look past Ronan or Korath or any of these other underlying characters that you know most comic book people would feel that they would want to learn more about. Hmm. Um. Where I was leading on into this, uh, though, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought and exactly I put off. Oh, yeah, the foreshadowing. The foreshadowing factor is that we learned something, and it was a very divisive point for this one character, for Quill. If we can remember Infinity Wars, right after or right at the moment when he they were about to pull off the gauntlet on Titan, the one person who stopped them, Star-Lord, because of obviously his rage of losing Gamora. Well, we can remember a quote from Rocket when he's saying to Drax, he says, everybody's got dead people. It's no excuse to get everybody else dead along the way. Oh. And looking at that, we see that as an overall arching narrative in terms of what happened with Star-Lord. So, like I said, there isn't that many in this movie in particular to, like I said, to the overall looming threat, which we already know to be Thanos and the Infinity Stones. But this one even does give you somewhat of a, a callback. Didn't somebody else say there was something with the twelve percent of a plan? How that's like a reference to something with Tony Stark or something from another movie? Um, 
not too sure about that. Or maybe I'm not saying it's wrong. I just that's not something I know. Yeah, because somebody said that that was a reference to some an, another scene. Maybe when they're arguing about the plan in Infinity War and you know, how he's like, "Your plan kind of sucks." I can't remember. I I like that you brought that out though, because he says that's part of a plan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah. Tony says that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's something with Pepper, isn't it? Yeah. I thought there was something with that, but somebody said somebody put that in the watch party last night about Tony and Pepper with twelve percent of a plan or something, and how that was. That was a little. That was like a little Easter egg of a of a reference point, maybe. But I like what you brought up because I actually. That's one of my least. I hate that scene in Infinity War. I, it makes me. I hate it. It's it's cringy. It's it's too much. It's too much. I think I actually think they're they're stretching Quill's character beyond what's reasonable. I don't think the character they build up to that point is um is is that irrationally driven by love and rage oh the tower was 12 percent of pepper's plan yeah 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 yeah, yeah. it's 12 percent. she says she's having 12 percent of a moment that's right that's right yeah um so i don't know if that's intentional or not but i love that they they maybe they just did that as like a little bit of a head nod to people who will pick up on it um i wouldn't put it past them they put so much of that expectation and they're planting these seeds it's just the popularity that this movie acclimated because of everything it's amazing you know i, I talked about it last uh, guardian or excuse me not last mcu chat about the theme parks and how they disney more particularly was able to find a loophole within the universal marvel uh contract of not having anything east of the mississippi theme park wise marvel related but Epcot is building a Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster. In California, they already completely reintegrated um, the Tower of Terror into uh, the Collector's Tower in Guardians. So essentially, you're one of his collections, and the gar- you're helping the Guardians do a big escape. It's, it's 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 a lot of fun. It's a if if you ever had children that were n- nervous or scared of Tower, they're not going to be nervous or scared of this one anymore. It's actually it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm actually interested in where we land next week because I do feel like watching these back to back, that's actually how we have the schedule set up uh, is to is to run right into Guardians 2. We basically did all of the outer space stuff. Thor Dark World both Guardians movies before we loop back to Iron Man 3 and then that gets us into Civil War Winter Soldier and the rest. Um, I'm going to be interested to see how I feel watching these literally back to back because I do have a weird memory that Guardians 2 is really, really funny, but may, I think maybe it also jumps the shark a little bit. I can't remember what my... It'll be weird to watch it this close together, because when I did the rewatch with my wife, Guardians 1 and 2 get separated significantly if you watch them in release date order. So we watched a bunch of movies in between Guardians 1 and 2. So I'm I'm, I'm curious how I'll feel next week when we review the second one. I, I, I really enjoyed the second one because of... Kurt Russell. I'm a giant Kurt Russell fan. I, I loved Escape from L.A., Escape from New York. Uh, it, those were just huge, you know, great, you know, cult classics for me. And even growing up, I watched them with my father. So I'm always positive towards Kurt, Kurt Russell films. Um, I, I, I agree. I feel like it took a different direction in tone. I still think they they hit it on the mark with the music, and we'll we'll get into that next week. But um, I I think that this was the guardians and everything right now that they're 
slowly tapping that's in the outer space realm of the mcu it's it's prime real estate it's it's stuff that they can tell new stories incorporate different trends into those like if they want to change a character to male or female which they're doing in the eternals for instance they're able to do that because this is not like um, I don't want to say the word canon, but this isn't something that everyone will know. Like when people, the the, the layman hears Marvel, they think of the the normal Spider Man, Iron Man, Wolverine, Captain America, what what have you. The, these characters that are in Guardians, that are in Eternals, they are not all known. So they can do a little bit of different things with them that I guess will suffice other means, but. It's like I said, untapped potential. It's it's great potential because it, it also extends the narrative within an overall story arc. Yeah. Are we are we missing anything? Because I, I feel like too many times we reach beyond the current movie, so I'm gonna maybe keep us from doing that this time. Do we have we missed anything that anybody wants to say? And we'll I think we can wrap on this uh, call in because I I you guys did highlight things. I was either unaware of or didn't notice. Uh, but before we do, before we wrap, I want to give anybody a chance to to get a final word if we did miss anything. Um, not, not so much miss anything, but I guess one thing going to these films that maybe doesn't get as much credit as it should be is the actual special effects themselves, which mm. sort of really, really good. And what they do, in fact, mixing the CGI with the sort of practical effects. You know, I remember seeing sort of sci-fi films sort of back in the nineties. And that kind of some of the special effects can be really immersion breaking when they're just so bad, especially when they sort of mix early CGI with practical effects. You kind of watch past it, but I think one of the things that is so so good that we actually emerge sort of, sort of get feelings for the characters themselves is actually how well they do animate all the characters to display the emotions. Mm. Well, I guess it's something that started first with sort of uh, Golem and sort of Lord Riggs on the first. Sort of CGI characters actually, you know, you really felt something for, mm-hmm. and also I know it's sort of mocap. I think again here, sort of the way sort of Rocket animated, and everyone and Groot as well, but then how that mixes in with Drax, and I know you sort of mentioned how Thanos doesn't look as good as sort of he does do later, but I guess at this point we haven't seen sort of yeah. Thanos from Infinity War, so you, you only notice it now, sort of looking back, I guess. But again, even he sort of didn't look that bad but yeah I, I think that's just something else and certainly when we get to that i think wave thanos is um, sort of animated and designed you know they really did a good job of actually being able to artificially express these these emotions to the point where you do actually sort of feel for those characters so i think that's sort of something maybe doesn't get we're almost so used to it being so good now that we just move across over just how impressive it actually is yeah it it's a sign of how good they've gotten that you don't really think about the fact that like Rocket's not really there. Like he looks like a literal like yeah. raccoon experiment running around. Same with the Groot and yeah, once see with Rocket, so he wakes up and he actually has bed hair. Yeah, it, 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 like, so he just kind of wakes. You just see one half; it's just kind of smushed down. And so those kind of little details are like, yeah, it's all really good in mm-hmm. just helping us uh, relate to the characters. And just the just the the voice acting and the the delivery like i tried to highlight that the fact that they like have an emotional moment between rocket and groot is is actually impressive i mean it's it's literally they're not there it's 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 like it's literally a a a a fake you know a fake raccoon that can talk and a tree like and yet it's a really cool scene i thought that was cool 
Um, you know, just lastly to close out, you know, this this movie and it helped paint an overall picture to a big bad. And I know they're probably still looking for the big bad if they haven't. I know Kang the Conqueror is one of them that's being circulated. Personally, I hope if they go a big bad within space, I kind of hope it's Galactus. Um, if it's going to stay within Earth, I really hope is they find some really cool way to incorporate Doctor Doom. I feel he is the one overarching villain that you can kind of encapsulate everyone in Marvel, whether it's uh, in, in space or on the planet. But um, I, uh, I feel that there's so, like I said, untapped potential within the space version of Marvel that they can do a lot of things and hopefully a lot of great things. They're, they did great things with, with Guardians. I'm pretty sure they have something great uh, in, in the works for Eternals. So, you know, we're, we're getting closer and closer to talking about, you know, what we've alluded to, uh, you know, since it so started, which is, you know, Inf Infinity War and Endgame. And I uh, can't wait for it. Yeah. Go ahead, James. JB. Is my mic good? Because I'm kind of driving right now. Oh, you're, yeah, you're like, so you're talking through a tin can now. Hold on, let me fix that. <laughs> How's that? Is that good? It's about the same. Just, just roll with it. We'll listen. I'll try to turn you up. Well, um, what I'm looking for, uh, to touch on what Wolverine said, I'm definitely looking forward to it. As far as villains they can introduce, whether it's, um, whether it's a Galactus, there's also, you know, Magneto. Uh, to look forward to the X-Men reintroducing, doing a better uh, apocalypse if you want to, you know, stay with, uh, you know, on Earth and everything. And I, I, I absolutely agree with Doctor Doom because he's one of those big villains that plays a lot of huge roles in major plot lines in comics. So, yeah, definitely there's the potential there, and I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, stuff coming into the future. Yeah, yeah. Don't. I agree. I mean, it, it, to kind of to kind of land the plane. I I always growing up thought Doctor Doom looked so cool. You know, I remember seeing him in comics and stuff. And he, I think he might be maybe. Be, honestly, if you think about how they made Iron Man look so good, I mean, when you have the metal and the armor to work with, I think you can. It's a little bit easier sometimes than to do like what they had to do with Thanos or Hulk. I think was more challenging from a CGI perspective. So I would I would love to see them get rotated in if you guys are listening to this you're like oh man that'd be so cool to join a vip call in i've got the schedule on the screen right now tomorrow is mando season one episode seven we're getting close to the end of mando season one which is perfect it's going to run right into mando season two and then this week we also have uh ratchet episodes one and two a new netflix original series that i've been i actually thought was very creative a little bit a uh, little violent, little adult themed. It's not gratuitous, but it's definitely there. And then Breaking Bad Season 2, Episode 7 and 8 this week as well. You can always go to sntrnetwork.com, click on Repeat Theater. That's the live review schedule, and the watch party schedules is there as well. So tonight is Mando Season 1, Episode 8. So if I don't see it tonight for that, uh, maybe I'll see it throughout the rest. This is getting updated all the time. We may add something for the 20th. There's that new Netflix original with Chicago Seven or whenever we may we may throw that one in because apparently it's been uh, it's getting really really high praise uh, Sasha Baron Cohen in a serious role so that could be a really enjoyable one we throw in to what's new Wednesdays we end up kind of reviewing two things this week if you want to be on these calls you just got to be a VIP member go to repeattheaterlive.com and use the join button on the YouTube or go to repeattheater.com and use the Patreon uh, and as always you can catch all the content on sntrnetwork.com or if you just want the uploads. 
It's a lot of dot coms I'm throwing at you, but it's all there for you to consume the way you like. SNTRvideos.com is just the YouTube channel for uploads if you prefer that over live stream. So, as always, if you're listening to an audio podcast later or watching the past broadcast, please like, share, and subscribe.